College. Yeah, it's good to be here and uh, it's good to be a live meeting and uh, it's quite strange because um, someone's come on this Zoom meeting and to stay you know, live and there's people behind me, it's just quite strange. Um, but yeah, it's uh, good to be here and uh, I've only got one message, you know, what happened, you know, what it was like, what happened, what it's like today. And um, I think in the week, Pax sent me, you know, he said, um, you know, get a little quote from the, you know, a few lines from the big book. And um, I sent him a message and I said, um, yeah, my favorite line is either God is everything or he's not. What is our choice to be? And um, because I think I think that's paramount, you know, for my recovery. And um, and then Pax sent me. He goes, choose one of the subjects. And under it was underlined, it was God is everything. I thought that just answers the question for me. You know, it's just powerful how this program works. And as I said, I'm going to, you know, my name's Sam, an alcoholic, and um, you know, from where I come from to where I am today, there is no comparison. And I'll uh, just explain what it was like, you know, growing up. I grew up in it. My father and mother came from India over 50 years ago to this country, and um, you know, it was a strange sort of uh, feeling. I was six years old, and um, you know, by nine, I knew my father was a drinker. There was chaos, carnage in the house. Uh, mother was crying at times. But I see all that, you know, at the age of nine or ten. I thought, if that drink, if that was drink, I wouldn't drink. You know, if that's what drink done, I wouldn't drink. And um, anyway, I continued with my uh, early teens. Um, by the time I was 12, 13, I rebelled rebelled against parents, rebelled against school, rebelled against anything. Uh, ran away from home. I was brought back. So that something was already going on. You know, I always felt quite shy, introvert, didn't quite fit in, even at school, in the playground. And all that feeling of, I don't know, didn't feel part of, you know. Um, and, you know, it's strange, you know, it's like everyone else, we hear it often in these rooms that everyone else, had this blueprint to how to live life. I didn't have that blueprint. You know, that day, I was not given instructions on how to behave, how to live. And um, so, yeah, you know, I was brought back. Um, but, you know, there's two things I couldn't wait to do. And that was leave home and um, leave school and leave home. And I thought, I'll get away from this madness, you know. Because, you know, we often hear in these rooms, you know, I come from a dysfunctional family. But, you know, over time in the fellowship, I've learned, you know, show me a home that isn't dysfunctional. Simple as that, you know, some degree or other, you know, I think every home has got things going on. But for me, you know, um, it was definitely dysfunctional because, you know, I, you know, in my early, probably early teens, my mum had a lot of emo emotional problems. And uh, my father, as I said, my father was a drinker. So I just wanted to go away. The grass was always greener over there, you know. Um, I always wanted the parents next door. They all seemed happy and, you know, it's like they had a nice unit. And I wanted that unit. And I didn't have that where I was. But I don't know if it's because I didn't have it or whether it's like, again, the grass is greener. I'm never settled wherever I am, you know. And, 
you know, so I left um, left school at 16 and moved to a big city, London, and, you know, got a job straight away, um, brilliant job. They were sending me to college, you know, training me to be a technician. I thought, this is it, it's going to be all right. Within six months, you know, I picked up that drink, you know. And I think the reason I picked up that drink, I think this particular time I was peed off about something someone had said. I used to go to these licensed places where to play pool. And this particular evening, someone said, have a drink, it'll make you feel better. And that was my first drink. And what that drink done, that was just incredible. It gave me everything. You know, that shyness when that introvert, when I could chat to girls, I could be good as anyone. There was no feeling less than, you know. It was just, it fixed me whole. I mean, many, many years ago, you know, there was an advert on telly. It reaches the parts other fears cannot reach. And that was me. I thought, this has fixed every area. And uh, I chased it. I really chased it. And, um, and you know, as soon as I had that, I wanted more. You know, from weekend drinking, it became a weekday drinking. And within a short period, it was everyday drinking, every lunchtime drinking. And, you know, that job, I thought, yeah, this is going to be brilliant. I wasn't interested. You know, one particular time, you know, I don't know what it was. I just went in the office and I said, I don't want to do this anymore. And I just threw the job in. I mean, that's how much alcohol had taken over my life at 16. Because what it was, the people I used to drink with, in pubs and clubs, they were always there. And they're not working. They're always there. How can they do that? I wanted some of that. That's the insanity of me at 16. And I got into a lot of trouble, you know, a lot of trouble. Because 16, 17, I ended up places I shouldn't have been ending up in. You know, I remember stabbing someone accidentally. All that stuff because of my drinking. And, um, and then I moved back up north, up to the Midlands. You know, new start, fresh start, I'll be all right. Didn't work. You know, I was there about six months, back down south, got another job. You know, my drinking continued. It got worse. By this time, I started getting fearful in the mornings because I couldn't remember what I'd done the night before. And, you know, the stuff we did, you know, for me, the stuff I'd done the night before, initially, people would laugh it off. People think, ah, oh, you know, that was a joke, you know. But, you know, things got serious, you know, things I got up to. Because once I had a drink, I didn't know what I would say and what I would do. Uh, I'd start off in a one place and I'd end up in the other part of London. I'd end up in nightclubs I shouldn't have been ended up in. I'd be chatting to people I shouldn't have been chatting to, doing things I shouldn't have been doing. And somewhere along the line, every now and then, i come unstuck. But, you know, throughout all this... Something was looking after me. I really think something was looking after me because many times I could have been dead. Um, many times, you know, this is, I'm talking about this is early drinking when I was 18, you know, 18, 19. And, um, and I thought, you know, I could always, I could always, you know, get a job. I could always get promotion. But it would never last. Nothing would last, you know. This book talks about restless, irritable, and discontent. That is me. You know, I think, if I got that job, if I got that girl, it'll be all right. I'll be okay. And what would happen? I'd get that job, that perfect job. You know, and I was paying the money. That would be enough for me. 
And I think, yeah, this is it. This is fine. Give me three months. Oh, don't like it here. They don't treat me right. Well, it was, they're going to sack me. I'm not good enough. There's no balance in me. Either it was, I was, you know, the old saying, either I was nothing. I was like, I felt like total useless. Or I was the bee's knees. There was no middle ground for me, ever. And, um, you know, this continued. You know, I'd, as I said, I'd get jobs, I'd get promotion, I'd work well. You know, we talked about in the big book, you know, when we put our minds to our self-conflict, when we put our minds to this, stuff, you know, anything we do, we really exceed, you know, we really put 100%. And then all of a sudden, we just smash it. You know, my life was construct and destruct all the time. New jobs, new place, new town. I moved from town to town, jobs to jobs. I could never understand what was wrong. How could other people just settle in the job for 20 years? How could other people, you know, be in a relationship, live in the same place? I was never happy wherever I went. I could not understand why. And every time I drank, it just got worse. Because somewhere along the line, in the back of my mind, I thought drink is keeping me together. If I didn't have drink, I was going to, I was just going to go nuts. I, I didn't know what was going to happen. And somehow I thought drink was keeping me together. But as I say, you know, things got worse for me. You know, um, the panic attack started. Couldn't get on buses. Couldn't get on tubes. Um, you know, I, I'm just going to explain the state of mind I'd be in. This is at the age of, I don't know, 21, 22. You know, by this time I'm getting really ill. Uh, I don't realise I'm getting really ill mentally. I used to wake up, I used to be shaking. And I'd be full of dread. Can't eat in the morning. I'd be shaking. You know, and by about 11, 12 o'clock, I might be able to get a bag of crisps down me, you know, or something really light. And then, you know, it's like, I'm not going to drink again. Oh, never again. Not after what happened last night. By about three, four o'clock, or sometimes earlier, just to what? Just to settle my nerves. And off I went again, you know. Um, and, you know, as I say, I couldn't get on buses and tubes. And when I had to go underground, you know, I have to walk along the back wall because I could not trust my head. My head would say, jump in front of the tube, you know. Um, and it, it just, each time it got worse. Um, I'm going to fast forward a lot of this stuff because it's the same stuff repeating. Same behavior over and over again, but each time I'm going further and further down. The jobs, you know, from the job I started to the job I was doing by this time was nothing really. You know, it was just dead end job. Um, but there came a time I got sacked from my final job. You know, I remember at the age of um, 24, I was so ill mentally and physically, and uh, you know. I knew I couldn't do without drink, but I did not know how I was not going to drink. How was I going to survive without drink? I did not know how not to drink. And I remember, you know, if this is the only way, I'm going to drink myself to death. There's no other way. And even for me, you know, uh, today I believe, you know, my higher power had other plans for me um, because, you know, I, I couldn't drink myself to death. I just got 
by this time I was hearing voices, you know, um, all that stuff, you know, people talk about, you know, and um, I continued for another two years. And um, I think six months prior to coming to this, these rooms, um, you know, I rang AA because once again, I come to that point, you know, that I thought I was really going to die. And by this time, my drinking was off the scales, you know. I'd, I said to my mum, I'm only going down the road to get a packet of fags. You know, I'll be back in five minutes. She would not see me for five days, three days. She didn't know whether I was dead or alive. She'd be waiting, wondering what's happened to her son. You know, the people, the nearest and dearest, I hurt so much. I let them down so many times, especially, you know, the parents, because, you know, they're always worried about it because people would come knocking on the door because of something I'd done or something that happened. And, um, you know, it's just, when I look back on it, you know, it just shows me how ill I was with all this stuff. And I say, you know, um, six months prior to coming, you know, I've come off a bender, five-day bender, and I knew I was going to die. You know, I really did because when I went on benders, I didn't eat, I didn't sleep, I'd be in such a terrible, terrible state. I could never understand why. You know, and since coming to the fellowship, I have today. But, you know, that day, I thought, oh, I've got to do something. I've got to do something about my drinking. I remember ringing AA, you know, and um, I remember, you know, they saying there was a meeting somewhere. And I was so ill, I could not get to that meeting. And, they, you know, in them days, they said, that oh, we'll send some literature out in the post. In them days, it took three or four days for the literature to come in the post. And uh, we all know, you know, three or four days off to drink and you start feeling better. And, you you know, first day, I remember first day, I couldn't even get off the set. Hey, I was so ill, just puking. I didn't have energy to do anything. And the second day, I might walk around, have a little bit of toast, that stay down. And by the third day, I'm all right. Nothing wrong with me. Oh, no, that was just bad, you know, bad luck. And I'll be back on it. I mean, the insanity, you know, I, so many times I died. Yeah, I've just brushed it off, you know. I could not see how ill I was. Everyone else around me could see it, you know. I, I mean, I remember going, a few, you know, a few times to the doctors, you know, but not really telling them what was wrong, you know. I remember they, they prescribed medication. And, of course, you know, I wouldn't. You know, it just didn't work with drink, you know. It lasts for about a week. I think, oh, yeah, yeah, I'll do this. And it talks about it in the big book. I mean, that big book is written for me, you know. It's like, it says, you know, we go to a health farm, take, you know, read inspirational books and all that. And I tried all that, but it would never last. I'd be back on it again. So anyway, this time I was back on it, um, as I say, and uh, things just got worse. At the end of it, I lost my job. Um, my family didn't want to know. Um, I had a lot of anger, a lot of resentments, because I blamed everyone else. It was my childhood. And my childhood, you know, there was abuse and all that, you know, and, you know, it played a part, but it didn't make me an alcoholic. These are the things that, you know, they're always swirling around in my head, you know, um, I just, you know, the, the father I hated because of the way he treated me, you know, all that stuff was just churning up, you know. And I blamed everyone else for what happened. 
with the way I felt. I never really took responsibilities. And the whole of my life, when there was chaos and carnage, I moved on to the next group of people, next town, next city. I never stopped to examine the damage I caused. And, you know, I look back on it today and I think, what a life, what a life. I could never settle anywhere. Um, never feel at home with myself, you know. And uh, so six months after, as I say, you know, I lost a job, lost a family, didn't want to know. And once again, I was at that point. And I lived on the ninth floor of a 24-story tower block. And I wanted to jump out that window because the creatures were coming out the walls. You know, the, the head was screaming, hearing voices. And I thought the only way out of this is to open that window and jump out. And I went as far as opening that window and something stopped me. And I believe it was my higher power. You know, I didn't know it at the time because my idea of God and religion and all that, I just didn't want to know any of that stuff. You know, I just, you know, I went to Sunday school when I was, I don't know, eight, nine. And that was okay. I felt okay with that. As soon as I was 13, 14, rebelled against everything, I didn't want to know. By the time I was 16, 17, you know, people, I, I belittled people who believed in God. You know, and my idea was what it talks about in that big book. You know, if there was God, this wouldn't happen and that wouldn't happen. That was me. You know, that was where I was mentally, closed minded, blame, blame, blame. You know, and um, so, you know, that day or that night, opening that window and something stopped me jumping out that window, you know, and, um, as I say, you know, there's a reason I'm here today. And I remember, you know, going into that bathroom and looking in the mirror and there was nothing left. Dead eyes. I was a shell. I don't know if anyone else here felt, you know, that point of no return. I know if I didn't do something, there's no way I'm going to come back from this. And for me, that moment of clarity was either I was going to end up in a mental institution prison or death and you know i knew that that's that is it and do you know what even up to today after all these years if i pick up a drink i know that's where i'm going to end up they're the courses that is open to me if i pick up a drink it's going to be mental institution prison or death if i'm lucky so you know i i've come to realize how such a this is a Fatal illness. It really is a fatal illness. And, you know, that three pertinent idea just tells me, you know, no human power could relieve my alcoholism. You know, and, um, and it's only a few years in the fellowship I could see that, you know. So, you know, I rang AA again. I got to my first meeting in North London and um, I was afraid. I sat near a door ready to run out. I couldn't look you in the eye. I'd look on the floor, I'd look anywhere but look you in, into your eyes. I was so scared, sitting on my hand. And, um, you know, I just listened. You know, there was a sign on the thing. It says, being afraid yet not knowing what you're afraid of. That just showed me, you know, these people knew something. And they were talking about the way I lived my life, the things they'd done in their drinking, the things that I'd done in my drinking, things that happened in their child. They were talking this openly and i would just do you know what i got identification straight away and uh 
I used to look at them charts and I thought, you know, why is it God, God this and God that? Because I, I had this defiance against God, this closed-mindedness. I didn't want to know about God. All I wanted to do was stop hurting. All I wanted to do is feel okay, whatever okay was. By this time, I didn't know what okay was. I knew I could not drink. And I did not know how I was not going to drink. And, you know, at the end of the meeting, that meeting, people came up to me and said, look, don't worry about God. Don't worry about steps. All you have to do is go to bed without a drink tonight and go to a meeting next day. And that's what I've done. Uh, you know, just like I was unemployable. I couldn't, I, I couldn't even string three words together. You know, I was just so frightened. I couldn't sit at a table and eat with you. You know, I just, it's just that panic state, you know, and that, you know, I suppose it was, you know, right. It was just fear, total fear, terrified of what you'd think, what was going to happen. Um, but, you know, I went to a meeting next day and I continued going to a meeting. I was around about six or eight weeks and I picked up a drink again. Because six or eight weeks off the drink, I started getting physically fit. I started eating breakfast in the morning. I started getting a bit of sleep. I started, I'm okay now. I haven't had a drink. That's why I, I didn't understand the illness of alcoholism. You know, I thought I'm okay. And, you know, I started a college course. I had a couple of quid in my pocket because I wasn't drinking all of a sudden. My life's okay, you know. And that afternoon, it was a week before Christmas. You know, and uh, everyone from this college course going down the pub for a Christmas drink. And I had that little bit of AA and stay out of wet places. And I declined the offer of going to the pub. The obsession of the mind was in there. It was like a flick of a switch. I was off. You know, it was like the obsession had started. The cogs were turning. And that, after, that afternoon, I picked up a drink, or late evening, I picked up a drink. And that night, all the madness was back, all the chaos. To, and I felt worse than ever because people in these rooms had helped me for the last six or eight weeks. They showed me a way of life. That day at a time, I didn't have to pick up a drink. They were so kind. So I thought I'd let everyone down. And that night, I rang a member and they said to me, you know, just don't pick up another drink and get to a meeting. And that was my last drink many, many years ago. And, you know, it's been an amazing journey. It really has. It's been a powerful journey. It's been an enlightening journey. It's been uh, painful at times. And, you know, that's what it was like. You know, that's how my drinking was. It was just a madness. And I come into these rooms after that last drunk. And, you know, I was ready to do anything you wanted me to do. You know, I went to two meetings a day, three meetings weekends. You know, meeting in between meetings at coffee houses, I was afraid to be alone. I was afraid to even think for myself. And I sat at the table when other people, you know, after a meeting, the people would go to coffee houses. And I'd sit at the table at the coffee house and just listen to people because I could not make a conversation. And they just, people in AA just carried me, showed me love and tolerance and pain. You know, I had a headache. I thought I had a tumour. You know, all that stuff is just, I'm going to panic. I'm going to fall. You know, I, I'm going to collapse. You know, no, you're right. You're right. Don't worry. Just sit with us. That reassurance all the time. 
And, you know, and then, you know, I was around about, I don't know, about six months. And you know, I don't know if anyone knows, you know, six months around, you're going to AA, you're going two meetings a day and you're meeting people and then comes, is this it? So I'm not drinking, is this it? You know, all of a sudden that, you know, that fear, the reason I come into these rooms because I was so frightened, so scared, I didn't want to drink. All of a sudden that dissipated, is like, is this it? So I'm not drinking. I wanted a relationship, I wanted money, I wanted a job, I wanted this, I had the poor means. And I remember bursting the tears in these rooms. And I honestly, genuinely felt, you know, that's so pity that, oh. And I burst into tears and someone took me outside these rooms and had a chat and I felt better. I didn't have to pick up a drink. It was going to be all right, you know. I chatting to someone, it was going to be all right. And then the year round, you know, my life had taken on, you know. Um, I celebrated my first day of birthday at the other side of the world. And uh, we all... My family went on a, to India on a pilgrimage and see some families, and they said, look, we'll go into the mountains, the temples, and all that. And I remember, you know, I went to AA meetings in India, brilliant meetings, and then, you know, they said, look, we've got two weeks tour around into the mountains. And I said, yeah. But do you know that defiance of God was still there for me? They'd go into these temples. I refused to go into the temple. That's me, the alky. I don't want to know about God. And yet where I come from, where I was, the other side of the world, and I felt comfortable in myself, yeah, I didn't want any of that stuff. And, you know, I come back from that holiday and uh, didn't think much of it, you know. That's the way it was, the way I was then. And then, you know, the job came, the money came, the relationship came, you know. My fault came off the AA, you know. It's almost like... I'm all right. I'm doing all right. I'm still going to meetings, you know. And I remember getting a sponsor. I asked someone to be my sponsor. He was sober 15 years. The reason I asked him to be my sponsor, he'd look good on me. If, if, if anyone asked me, who's your sponsor? I'd say it's him. And, you know, um, it was just an ego trip because, as I said, this, the relationship came, the money came, the holiday started coming in, and I was paying lip service. I was doing a bit of 12-step work. I was doing step one. I was first part of step one. I was powerless over alcohol. You know, I have no doubt about that. And I was doing a bit of service, you know, a bit of twice work, putting some literature out or, you know, uh, doing tea commitment, but nothing in between. It was almost I was turning up, but the job had become more important. The money had become more important. You know, the holidays had become more important. And I was about 20 months around. I come crashing down. Now, 20 months, I got money in the bank. I got a good relationship. I'm doing two holidays a year. Good job. Good clobber, good clothes. You look at me and you think he's doing well. You know? Now, the difference was, on the outside, I looked okay. But the inside, I was collapsing. This was 20 months without a drink, 18, 20 months without. I was collapsing inside because the childhood stuff was coming out. The guilt, the shame was coming up throughout things I'd done in my drinking. The hatred was coming up for my father, you know, and the other stuff, all that. It was just, and I'd hear people sharing in these rooms about certain things and I'd sink into my seat because I was didn't want to look at that stuff. I, 
I'd see people walking down the street. If I was walking down the street, I'd see people from the past and I'd have to cross the road because I couldn't face them because the memory would come up of what happened. I'd see something on the telly and it'd bring up uh, this, this anger, fear, terror. And I knew. I thought I was going to pick up a drink or end up in a mental institution. And I said, this was nearly 20 months without a drink. And I knew I had to do something. And I went back to that same sponsor. And once again, he asked, are you willing to go to any events? This time I knew. And I knew what he meant. And I was ready. You know, he says, you know, in the book, as the dying can be. If he told me to sit in the corner on my head, I would have done it. But what I come to realize is that when I first came into AI, I looked like shit and I felt like shit. But when you're 20 months around, you look good and you feel, you know, you feel like shit, but no one knows. You know, it's just, and I knew how to do so. And uh, as I say, I rang the sponsor and um, we started going through the steps. That is when I realized, you know, the disease of alcoholism, you know. Alcohol was just a tip of the iceberg. The disease of alcoholism is me, is in me. And, you know, what I've learned, you know, people often share, you know, if you take a drunken horse thief, you take the drink away, you're still left with a horse thief. You know, because they, them step, you know, it's like going to the doctors, getting a prescription, but not taking the medicine. And it's like coming to AA, you know, there's a program of recovery. If I don't do that stuff, I'm going to stay ill, you know. I suffer from an illness, and he talks about the fatal illness, you know. I suffer from a threefold illness, physical, mental, and spiritual. Physically, put the cork in the bottle, I think I'm all right. But I suffer from a mental illness. And when they talked about mental illness, I did not understand what they meant. So that I do. I'm never cured of this illness. I have a daily reprieve on what I do. And um, you know, what I learned is my life is unmanageable by, by me, drunk or sober. I realized that when I was 20 months without a drink. Drunk or sober, I cannot manage my life. I needed a new manager. Because he talks about, you know. Step two, restore me to sanity. You know, 20 months without a drink, I was insane. I wasn't insane in my drinking behavior, but I was insane in my thinking, in my actions. Just because I wasn't drinking, my thinking was just warped. And people talk about warped. You know, you remember the finals. If they're warped, you can never play them right. And my thinking was warped. I can never see the truth. So, you know, it was that decision. We talk about step three. You know, came to, you know, to make the decision, you know, turn our will and our lives. And what I realized by me, I cannot manage my life. I needed a new manager. And that, that manager is going to solve my life. He's going to show me a way to live. And it was whether I wanted that or I didn't. And that was a decision. And it was like, for me, it was doing that step three prayer with my sponsor, getting down on my knees and saying, God, show me what you want me to do. You know, I can't, I don't know how to do life with or without drink. Show me. I don't know where to go. Tell me what you want me to do. And that was that decision to say, turn my will on my life. Up. 
you know, because it was like from this day on, my life is none of my business. And that was that was it. That was that decision. And it was a decision to carry on with the rest of the program. And it was a decision to clear that wreckage of the past, all that stuff that's bubbling up. And, you know, one of the greatest things I've learned, you know, I'm sick of my secrets. And step forward was about, because, you know, I had a lot of fear and stuff around step forward because the means I used to go to, they used to say, you know, they took 18 months to do step four, 700 pages. And I was like, whoa, my experience wasn't that. Good luck to anyone who takes that long. My experience was I needed to clear this stuff. And it was about 16 pages. It took me about 15, 20 minutes a day over a month. And all I had to do is be totally thorough. Everything that was in my head, everything that had happened, didn't matter how stupid it was, how boring it was, how horrendous it was, how embarrassing it was, just write it down. And I'd done it in five-year periods from 0 to 5. I thought there would be nothing in 0 to 5. Those kind of things, 5 to 10, 10 to 15, and so forth. And I went through all the way. And, you know, it talks about we go back, ransack our memories. I just wrote it down, you know, whatever it was, just write it down. And my sponsor said, just write it down. I'd done it in a three-column way. I did not understand a lot of third column. I just put it down the way I saw it. I just done it. And my sponsor said, once you've done it, put it away. Don't look back on it. Because he knew me by that. He thought, if you're going to look back, you're going to start changing it. He said, just leave it. Because the first time is, because every time you do that, bit of step four, I, you know, do that step three prayer and just do that stuff. And I, you know, and I then to, you know, do step five. And I've done step five in, you know, two sessions. I couldn't wait to share this stuff. I couldn't live with this stuff anymore. It talks about, it, doesn't it? We can't live with tormenting, tormenting ghosts of the past. We need to speak to someone about it. You know, stuff that I held on to from the age of five. Stuff I held on, to, you know, the day before what happened. From all that period, and it's like. And I remember, you know, he said to me, "There's only three people in this room: you, me, and God." Whatever he shared in this room stays in this room. And he'd put me at ease. He shared so much stuff about himself, and I knew he was the right person to share this stuff. And I started sharing my stuff. And and do you know what? When I walked in, I was like that. Didn't know what to expect. I knew I had to do this stuff. When I walked out of that man's house, I had a spring in my step. The sun was shining, and I felt the free man. You know, the... That feeling has never left me. This is many, many years after. This stuff has never left me. And, you know, before I left, he hugged me and told me he loved me. And, you know, some of the stuff that, that I'd been carrying around, when I shared it with him, it just vanished, just like that. Because you could understand. He said, I've done that. Some of the stuff that I thought was uh, silly stuff, that didn't need to share, but I still shared he said, I'm glad you share that because this is the stuff that kills pain. The he talks about in the book, the violent twists it leaves and discolors our personalities. Now, some stuff I put arms and legs on, other stuff I just minimized and it was getting the right balance. And what I learned through that step five was really, you know, 
Because at times, as I said, I, I thought I was the worst person in the world. And at times, I thought I was the best one. And what that step five showed me. I was no any worse than any any other person. I was no better than any other person. You know, I had my faults, but I had also had good points. I had made mistakes, you know. And what I learned, you know, for the stuff that, you know, I needed to change, you know. And most of my stuff was fear-driven. And we talks about it, doesn't it? Fear of losing something, fear of not gaining. That was my, you know, activators of my defects. And it's constantly, I have to look at that stuff. So, you know, after doing step five, it was like, let's build on the good stuff. Let's start changing, you know. And it was about letting go of some of that stuff as well, you know. It was about, don't hold on to this stuff. You know, it's almost like, we hear it, I think, in these rooms. It says, you know, after you do step five, put a little stake in there so no more fishing. It says, don't go back to that stuff. It's done. You've shared your stuff. Let it go. Don't carry it. And that's what my sponsor don't carry it. My sponsor says, you don't need to share this with any anyone again if you don't want to. And what I've come to realize, I only share certain stuff when it's necessary for me to share to help other people. And you know what I've learned? My greatest assets is my past to help others, whether it was in my childhood, whether it was in my drinking, whether it was in recovery. My greatest asset is my past to help others. You know, so, you know, it was about change. Step six is about change. The only time I was entirely ready to change, you know, is after doing step five. I don't want to know this. I want to change. I want this new person. But you know what I've come to realize over time? I can't change instantly. There's always going to be a sticking point, layers of onions that come away. And um, what I realized, you know, the self-worth had to be built. The ego had to come down. I could look at you and I, I can feel, you know, I'm, a, I'm no better than anyone else. I'm no worse than anyone else. I'm okay, you know. And eight and nine was about clearing my side of the stream. It wasn't clear. You know what I had to do? Ask for forgiveness before I, well, forgive other people before I ask for forgiveness. I had to let go of the hatred of my father. I had to let go of my childhood stuff. It comes up on a bad day, but most of the time it's dealt with. You know, um, the other stuff, you know, is like, the back clearing my side, my side of the street. It's not anyone else's side, you know. And people talk about making amends, you know. Sorry is not enough. If you break a neighbor's fence, sorry is not going to fix that fence. It's about mending that fence to its original condition, if I can. And that's what step nine is about. Paying back where I stopped. Being a son to my mother. The father I hated and despised, you know. In recovery, I, I came to look after him. A guardian or, I got a guardian order over him. And I made major decisions on his life. My family asked me, this is why it gives me. And he passed away, but I, I would be able to be a son for him, to him. Um, step 10 and 11, you know, and 12 on a daily basis, step 10, where am I going? What am I doing? How am I treating other people? Am I treating other people the way I like to be treated? Why has shown me, just keep doing this stuff. Turn up, show up. You're going to screw up. Hold your hand up. You know, what is the truth? Don't cover it up. You know, just deal with it. Be honest in all your areas. You know, just 
Say how it is and trust in God that he's going to look after you. If you're not cheating, you're not ducking and diving, it's going to be all right. And do you know what? I've, to this day, I've never been let down. But my alcoholic head can always say, I can wake up in the morning and think, oh, I want, you know, this is going to happen or that's going to happen or God ain't going to look after me. Because I've had so many, you know, seven years ago, I didn't think I was going to make it. You know, I had a major operation and all that. Um, but, you know, God looked after me. And last two or three years, there's major, major stuff happening in my life. You know, my, it's all turned around my life to what it was. You know, for 20, 25 years, 28 years, I was free to do, go whenever, please do, you know, go anywhere, holidays, be in the family. And what's happening in the last two years, it's just, oh, that's right, no more holidays, no more this, no more this. You've got responsibilities. Deal with them. You know, there's a lot of health issues, family issues. You know what? What I've learned is to get that conscious contact with my higher power. And it's shown me. It's, shown me. it's a day at a time. This program's day at a time. You know, it's just for today. I'm sober. What kept me sober last year is not going to keep me sober today. Every day is a new day, a new beginning, a new... And, you know, so step 11 is so important for me, prayer meditation. That's why I said God is everything, always nothing. From where I come from to where I am, there is no comparison, whether it's internal stuff or external stuff. You know, God has given me everything on loan. I've come through a journey, and my, you know, my primary purpose is to stay sober and help other alcoholics, to show them that where I've come from, where I am today. You know, I haven't done it. Some power, the fellowship, whatever you like to call it, has shown me a way of life that exists. And doesn't matter what's happening in my life, the real core of it is God's got my back if I turn to him. But if I don't turn to him and I go into self-will, I'll go into my illness, self-centered, self-seeking, selfish, and I'll get very ill. I'll get very, very ill. And it doesn't matter how long I'm off the drink. It's a spiritual malady I suffer from, you know. I have a daily reprieve contingent on what I do. If I don't do this every morning, I have an hour to myself. I do 3711 reading. I do on awakening reading. I have 15 minutes of total silence, prayer meditation. And I just ask God, show me what you want me to do today. And if I'm having difficulty, all these with stuff. I ask God, help me be more tolerant around this stuff. Show me. Give me help here. I don't know what to do. I ask directly, God, and I sit quietly. I say, you know, just let it be, whatever your will is. Help me not get in the driving seat. Get me out of the driving seat. Help me be, just be of service. And you know what? This is what this whole of this stuff is for me today. It's about being of service wherever I am, whether it's around family, whether it's around AA, sponsors, out in the world. I feel so comfortable within myself, even though whatever's happening in my life. I mean, the last couple of days have been so emotional, a lot of stuff, family stuff. And you know what? I just sit there and I think, God, why don't you like just behave yourself? And, you know, I can't do nothing. It is what it is. All I can do is listen and say, look, 
Try and be of service, loving and tolerant and patience. But don't be a doormat. That's why I said as well. Stand up for yourself. Be counted. But don't let people run over you. Um, and step 12, you know, it says, having had a spiritual awakening is a result of these steps. This new way of life is just, it blows me away after all these years. It just blows me away. When I think, when I, I used to wake up in a doorway, not knowing where I've been, what I've done, to where I am today. There is no comparison. My illness is always there. Will tell me, you know, this ain't enough. This ain't right. I want this. I want that. And what I have said, it's all right. You've got everything you need. You know, just stay at a time. Keep doing this stuff, and it's going to be all right. You know, a lot of people have passed away in my life. Sponsors, um, sponsor, you know, family, you know, all that stuff. But the reality is, I'm here doing this stuff. Life on life's terms. Today, I believe it's life on God's terms, not my terms or life terms, God's terms. So I say, you know, God is everything, full stop. I'll leave it there. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you.